Morning. That's good, because I'm really not one of those guys that if it's a very quiet good morning says, is anybody awake? Can we say that? So you just saved us all that embarrassment. Uh, well, very nice to be here. This is our first time uh, here. My wife and the noisy bunch over in the corner. Uh, we're all uh, glad to uh, be here, just uh, not just because it's our first time and we, we've heard uh, so much about you, but also because I knew I'd finally get the chance to uh, be here and to say thank you in person uh, for all that you do for the students up at NTM who attend your church. Um, the care you give them, the hospitality you give them, uh, just the part you play in their lives while God has them here as he prepares them for what is coming next uh, in their lives. So thank you for that. Please continue it. Uh, it's greatly appreciated uh, and we trust as well that uh, there'll be a blessing to this church as well. Right, Sarah? Yes. Yes, we'll do that. Okay, so we are looking at Genesis uh, 15. Always good to arrive and see the scripture on the screen as the same one that you're supposed to be preaching on. That hasn't always happened with me, so um, there we go. So Genesis 15, uh, it's been read for us already, and maybe as it was being read, or read, uh, your mind already started working, you already started thinking about some of those things. Uh, maybe as it was read, you were thinking, what on earth is all that about? Animals being chopped in half, and uh, all of this sounds a bit queasy. Uh, anyways, we'll uh, look at that uh, today. But just, uh, again, uh, before we start, could I just stop for a moment and uh, pray? This is as much for me as it is. Uh, for all of us. But let's just pray just for a quick moment again. Father, I truly uh, thank you for time that we can spend now uh, in your word. Thank you for the wonderful truths in it uh, that we have the opportunity to think about uh, this morning, Lord. And uh, again, uh, Lord, I uh, seek your help uh, and each of us, Lord, to take a moment uh, just now to make a uh, conscious decision, Lord, to open our hearts uh, to what uh, you and, and you alone uh, would say uh, through your word to us this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, for the past few chapters now, you have been with Abram, right? As uh, he has uh, moved from essentially Babylon, uh, sort of northwest up to Haran, and then down south to Canaan, further down to Egypt, uh, and then back up uh, to Canaan uh, again. And during this time, you have clearly seen that God is at work with Abraham, right? Uh, leading him, uh, guiding him. Uh, at the same time, we're seeing that Abraham is far from perfect, right? Heading into Egypt, and he has that absolutely dumb idea, saying to his wife, why don't you pretend you're my sister, right? I, I don't think Sarah ever let him live that one down, right? If if my wife's anything to go by as well, right? I wouldn't have survived Egypt if I would uh, have done that. So we've seen he has his issues uh, as well. Uh, we've also seen God begin to make some very significant promises uh, to uh, Abram. Uh, these verses in today's text will give us some of the specific details uh, of promises that he's giving here. Uh, they form part of what we call the Abrahamic uh, covenant, a very significant uh, covenant. A covenant essentially is an agreement uh, between uh, two uh, sides. 
Uh, in scripture, we read about a number of them uh, that God makes with man. They will either be uh, uh, unconditional uh, in the sense that it's, it's totally up to God. Uh, it's his responsibility to fulfill the terms of the agreement or they will be conditional in the sense that there's conditions. Both sides have a part to play uh, in what will uh, happen. Okay, so we'll be thinking a little bit uh, about that uh, as well. Uh, this agreement we'll find with Abram is unconditional, okay, and we'll see that in the details later in the verses uh, that we are going uh, to look at. So last week you covered, and might be a little bit of opinion, but I'll say it's my opinion, one of the most, if not the most significant moment uh, in Abram's life, okay? Verse seven of chapter 15 says, and he believed the Lord uh, and he counted it uh, to him uh, as righteousness, okay? Very significant, more significant than him arriving in Canaan, uh, more significant even than the day uh, that Isaac uh, was born, uh, this moment where Abram believes that God will do what God says uh, he uh, will do, okay? Trusting in the word of God. Uh, you and I face that same challenge uh, today, okay? Will I trust uh, in what God says? Will I trust in the word of God? The result for Abram we saw uh, was righteousness, God-given righteousness. So what a moment that was. Now we get to what happens uh, next then. Okay, let's read just again uh, verses 7 and 8. Okay, you're still hopefully Bibles uh, open there, but 7 and 8 says, And he said to him, so this is God speaking, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, right, that's Abram, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall uh, possess it? Now let's just start with something quite uh, simple here. First of all, pay attention uh, to the name uh, of God that is used here, right? It says, I am uh, the Lord. Uh, is, is Lord all capitals in your Bible? Should be. Uh, if it's not, then it's, it's losing something uh, here. Remember that if, if Lord is all capitals, it's just the translator's way of highlighting the fact uh, that the word or name of God being used here is Yahweh, okay, or uh, Jehovah, okay? This name that is used exclusively uh, for the one uh, true uh, God, okay? Uh, it's um, a name that belongs to him alone. You will not find anything or anyone else in Scripture being referred to uh, as Yahweh or uh, Jehovah, okay? It means uh, literally, it means the, the eternal one as such, but or, or the continuing one. Now, I love that. I, I love that name, the, the, continuing, uh, the continuing one, the one who never had a beginning, uh, will never have uh, an end. He has always been and will always be. So why mention that? Well, just simply to say then, um, recognizing that that is the name uh, for God here, this is what we must evaluate, or, or what comes next, what is said next, must be evaluated, uh, it must be uh, thought of uh, as such, uh, in the context of it is the continuing one who says it, okay? It is the eternal one that is speaking and promising uh, to Abram uh, here uh, in these verses. Now that's significant. Okay? Because I could make you all sorts of promises, 
right? I'm supposed to be here again, I think in three weeks. Oh no, they all say, <laughs> right? We'll see, um, right? So I can promise to be here. I might not be around in three weeks, okay? Right? That's, I might promise you other things as well, okay? But the one who's promising these things will be here in three weeks. He will be here in three years. He'll be here 300 years, 300 million years. Anything that he's promising here, he will be around to fulfill the promises. So that's why it's significant uh, of who is doing uh, the promising here. And that applies to all the promises of God, right? Not just the promises uh, that he makes to uh, Abram uh, here. And that's significant because this promise of the land is not going to be fulfilled in Abram's lifetime. Okay, but he can think back, well, who promised it? Well, the continuing one, the one who's still gonna be here years from now, uh, and he will uh, fulfill that. So, the credibility, uh, the surety uh, of what comes next is completely based, completely grounded in the fact of who is doing uh, the promising, right? It's Yahweh, the continuing one says it. So, uh, God tells Abram, I brought you here, and I'm going to give you uh, this uh, land. Now, Abram's response in verse 8 might surprise us a little bit. It might even concern us uh, a little bit. How dare he question God? How dare he respond like that? Okay, uh, is this an issue? Well, let's think about uh, that uh, for a minute, because weren't we just told in verse 6 that he believed God? He just trusted God? You know, this is still all happening within the same day. Is he just flipping back and forth, one minute believing God, the next minute doubting, and then he'll believe, doubt, believe, doubt. Is that uh, what's happening here? Okay. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this land. Uh, and Abram says, well, how can I know that? Okay, basically, how do I know, God, that you will do what you will say you will do? That's quite a question. That's a brave man who asked that to God, uh, I imagine. But we ask questions like that of God sometimes, right? We might not say it in such words. We might think it. It might be how we respond uh, to different things. Okay, God, how do I know you will be faithful? Now, you and I have a huge advantage. We have this book. We have the completed word of God, and we can look back over uh, thousands of years of recorded uh, history of God being faithful time and time uh, again. Abraham didn't have that. Okay? Now, that's not an excuse uh, for questions or anything uh, like that, uh, but he couldn't do even what we get to do uh, today. But anyways, does this Abram believing one minute and not believing the next? Well, the answer is... Uh, no, uh, because this question from Abram is not understood to be him doubting God, and we'll give some reasons why we think that, uh, not seen as him doubting God, but simply him uh, asking for more information, uh, asking uh, for more information, more details. Now, how can we say that? How can we say this isn't doubt uh, here? Well, very quickly, and I mean very quickly, just really three things uh, to think about there. First of all, look at how Abram addresses God. What does he say? He says, O Lord God. Okay, O Lord God. O Adonai Yahweh. Okay, Adonai means master, right? Owner. Uh, 
this is just another one of those things. God is all capitalized. When Adonai and Yahweh together, uh, God all capitalized means uh, Yahweh. That's significant here as well. So Abram's response is, uh, my master, my owner, the continuing one. Okay, that sounds to me hugely respectful. Okay, if you doubt what I say, uh, I, I, I would question whether you will be respectful uh, in, how you, um, uh, in how you portray that doubt or something. But we find Abram uh, being uh, extremely uh, respectful uh, here. Complete respect, complete submission, okay, my master, complete respect and submission and how he addresses uh, God. Okay? Uh, we don't see any sort of disrespect in his question here. So can we take from that, uh, that uh, a little bit of his heart in what he's asking here? Secondly, uh, using the, the principle uh, within interpreting Scripture, of using Scripture to interpret uh, Scripture, okay? you can look at other passages, uh, for example, in Exodus and Malachi, uh, where this same Hebrew word for how is used. How can I know? Or how uh, will I know? If you look at those other instances, you'll see how it's used in, in Exodus and Malachi is within the context of somebody asking for more details, asking for more uh, information. Uh, and thirdly, there is nothing in how God now responds to uh, Abram or uh, responds to this question that would in any way suggest that it's unbelief uh, on Abram's uh, part. There is no reprimand, there's no criticism, there's no judgment uh, from God. Uh, and in fact, God doesn't even show any disappointment or even frustration uh, at all. And we know he does that at other times, okay? He's not, he's not afraid to, to show that or it be recorded uh, in scripture uh, here. So Abraham asks for some tangible evidence uh, of this promise, and we see uh, God uh, respond uh, to that. So uh, just considering those couple of things, this should be taken as an honest question uh, from Abram uh, and not any sort of sign uh, of unbelief. Okay, so how does God respond? Pick it up again in verse 9, okay, verses 9 to 11. God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Uh, and he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half against the other. But he didn't cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, uh, Abram drove them uh, away. So again, follow the, follow the progression. God says, I'm gonna give you this land. Abram says, how can I know that, right? How will I know you'll do that? And response, God sets in motion here uh, a ceremony uh, to confirm this agreement, to confirm this covenant uh, with uh, Abram. We're given a list of three animals and two birds uh, that are involved, right? The heifer, goat, and ram are cut in half. Now, excuse the details, but it, it's cut in half uh, this way, not cut in half horizontally, right? It's, it's vertical. It's a, a split down the middle. Uh, one half of the animal placed on this side, the other half here, so they're in parallel all the way down with this space in the middle. Uh, and the two wee birds are placed on either side. Um, some people, some of you might ask questions, why didn't they cut the birds in half? Well, the birds are very small to begin with. So the thought is, you know, that's just two wee birds uh, on each uh, size, side. 
So you can picture the scene. <clears throat> you might not want to picture the scene, right? The scene of chopped up animals might not be your thing. Some people starting to think barbecue here and yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, but maybe some aren't, right? So anyways, uh, for the purposes of this, uh, consider, right, two, two lines of carcasses, right, with a space uh, down uh, the middle. In verse 17, we'll see something passed down through this space to confirm the covenant, but we will get, uh, we will get to that. Now, this whole thing is a very unusual custom, Okay, you don't read much of this in scripture. There's maybe only one other time. Uh, Jeremiah, what, Jeremiah 34, uh, I believe will not go there. I just mention it to say that it is the only other time something like this uh, is mentioned uh, in scripture. What there are, what there are, are what there is, what, I don't know. What there are, are plenty other uh, non-biblical texts that reference uh, a similar uh, ceremony uh, to this that show at that time in history, uh, animals were used in this way uh, as part of a sort of contractual uh, ceremony. Uh, and in those ceremonies, the, the parties involved would, would walk through the middle uh, of these uh, animals. They would take some sort of oath and, and agree to a curse coming upon them if either of them were to go back on their word to fulfill uh, the uh, agreement, okay? In a sense, they would say, then if I break this agreement, I invite death on me like these poor uh, animals here, right? That just sounds like buckets of fun. Um, I don't know, there's some kids, I don't, and maybe your kids did this when they were younger. Uh, they do this thing where they pinky swear, right? Right, so uh, <clears throat> can I use that toy while I'm playing with it? Well, can I use it when you're done with it? Yes, you can use it when I'm done with it. Pinky swear? Okay, right? Like, like this, like that actually means something. And of course, being good godly parents, we use that as a teachable moment, right? To say, no, 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 you let your yes be yes and your no be no's and, uh, and all of this. Um, I have yet to sort of say, no, 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 don't do the pinky swear. Let's do a covenant agreement with cutting open animals. Um, that would scare them, right? Uh, probably your kids uh, as well. Anyways, right, moving on. Uh, it's important to note, though, that in the record of the ceremony here in Genesis 15, uh, nothing of, you know, uh, the oath as such, and, and especially nothing uh, related to any sort of uh, curse uh, is being uh, mentioned here, okay? Uh, God is not inviting a curse on himself if he doesn't fulfill the agreement. This is just where we have to be careful and only stick to the text, even though there's other things uh, happening uh, at that time uh, in history. So we're not going to go beyond the revealed text there. Uh, we'll just say that this is part of a ceremony that God was doing uh, to prove to Abram uh, this uh, agreement. Now, some of us, or many of you might be curious, you might want more details uh, than what is revealed here. And maybe not just more details, but more of the meaning of these uh, details uh, as well, but we're not given it, okay? And, and curiosity then just has to be laid aside, uh, and we just have to accept that uh, the narrative, the, the revelation here may be intentionally quiet on those details and the meaning uh, of those details because the reason for including anything at all uh, about this ceremony is only to show the formal nature of the agreement, okay? God is serious about this, okay? 
Remember, Abram just said, how can I know that this will happen? How can I know uh, that you uh, will do that? How can I know that you will give me the land? And in response to that, okay, God makes an official agreement with him. Okay? Uh, and he'll give him more details later uh, towards the end of the chapter as well. Now let's keep reading. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Uh, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now this is turning into quite a day uh, for, for Abram here, okay? Uh, chapter 15 began during the night, because what happened? God took him outside and I said, look up, see the stars, try to count them. So obviously that was uh, at nighttime. Uh, the covenant ceremony began during the day because scripture reveals that birds of prey showed up and he's not talking about owls. Right? So that, birds of prey only come out. They're only out and about during the day. Uh, and here we are again at evening time again. So this is not, a, uh, this is not just the five-minute conversation that's been referred to between God and Abram. Right? This, is, uh, this is at least uh, a full day. So here we are at evening again. Uh, verses 12 to 16 describe another dream or, or vision. Uh, that sort of interrupts the course of the ceremony uh, that has been uh, started. So 12 to 16 are almost like this bit of parentheses uh, in uh, the text here before we get back to the ceremony in verse 17. But what's going on there in verse 12, right? When it says a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Let me quickly just read what a few other translations uh, put here. Uh, one says fear and terror came over him. Another says, uh, suddenly uh, he was surrounded by a great darkness and was filled with fear. Another says, a great and somber terror took hold of him. Now, when you read the words, uh, a dreadful and great darkness, uh, you, you might think that this is referring to something evil, right? We, we do that. We, we, were, we sort of associate darkness oftentimes uh, with evil. Darkness has that idea in scripture uh, as well. Darkness without hope, without God, uh, those uh, things. But here, uh, the writer of Genesis is describing Abram's experience as God approaches. Okay, uh, the word dreadful here is actually uh, the Hebrew word used for terror uh, or fear. That's why other translations put the word terror uh, or fear uh, there. Here it's used as a, as a description uh, of the emotion that is most inspired by the presence uh, of God. Now, we talk about fear. We talk about uh, the fear of the Lord. Uh, and sometimes there's the temptation to just water that down. Say, we can't be Fear? No, no, no. That, that just means awe and respect of God. Now, it does mean that, okay? But it also uh, means uh, more than simply awe or respect because, my friends, when we stand in the presence of a, holy, uh, of a holy God and we have a correct understanding of who he is uh, and what he is like, there should be fear, okay? There should be fear. Now, you might disagree with that and um, say, but, but God is love, he is love. Absolutely, he is love. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But he is also the God who in Romans, or not Romans, uh, Numbers 16, uh, opened up the ground uh, and swallowed up that group that was opposing Moses. 
And scripture gives the details. It was men, women, and children. Okay, judgment just like that. God is love, but he's also the God in Acts 5, who when Ananias and Sapphira were misrepresenting what God was doing in the early church, that God miraculously took their life just like that. Okay, so, so that is also, yes, he is love, okay, but he is also fiercely holy and a hater of sin and a judger of sin. Okay, so uh, understand or, or think about the, the, the type of when we talk about the fear uh, of uh, the Lord. Okay, it needs to be uh, acknowledged. And what Abram is feeling here, what is being described uh, as feeling here is a totally appropriate response uh, to being in the presence of Almighty God. He's not on the floor in the fetal position, shaking back and forth with that sort of fear. It's not the fear that he's running away. Okay, that's a different sort of fear. It's, that's not what's happening uh, here. Okay, and I know some or many commentators will attach a lot of symbolism to what's going on here. Okay, but don't miss the plain interpretation here. Don't miss the natural uh, meaning here. Abram is in the presence of God and his emotion is fear. Okay, not because he's done something wrong, because he hasn't done anything wrong. It's just simply he's in the presence uh, of God. So again, just understand the fear uh, that is being described of him uh, here. Anyways, in verses 13 and 14, God speaks to him uh, and outlines sort of the course of events that his descendants, that his family uh, will go through uh, before going into the land. Okay, Abram is told his descendants will be strangers uh, in a foreign country. There they will be enslaved. They'll be mistreated for 400 years. Uh, but eventually God will judge that nation. He will bring uh, Abram's descendants uh, out of the land. Uh, and he'll do that uh, with great possessions as well, right? You get this, speaking of Israelites uh, in Egypt, uh, and eventually uh, God bringing them out of that slavery with great possessions. Did God do that? Okay, absolutely he did, right? Uh, Exodus 12 uh, gives us the details uh, and even the part about the possessions. It says the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, so God did exactly what God said uh, he will do, right? All the way down uh, to the details. Now verse 15, Genesis chapter 15, God also promises Abram, uh, to quote the verse that he would go to his fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age, right? This is simply God telling uh, Abram that he is going to live a full, uh, a blessed uh, life, uh, essentially free from any sort of major conflict, uh, conflict with those around him. Did that happen? Absolutely it did, right? Uh, not to steal anybody's thunder, but Genesis 25 verse 8 says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, uh, and was gathered uh, to his people. A good old age, right? Literally, it says sort of gray, silvery hair, right? Good old age, a sign of wisdom and, and all of that, which we would agree with most of the time, right? 
This phrase in verse 15, you shall go to your fathers in peace, recognize, not to make a big point of those, but just recognize what that is, early evidence in scripture, very early evidence in scripture, that death is not the end, okay? There's something else, okay? Uh, and Abram is told uh, that here uh, as well. So some more promises to Abram there that we can see from scripture that God uh, fulfilled. We see his faithfulness uh, in that. Now, the last thing we want to deal with before we get back to the ceremony in verse 17 would be verse 16. It says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God talking, God telling Abram what's going to happen. You know, your family's going to end up in Egypt, slave, mistreated, but I'll bring them out. I'll bring them to this land. Uh, it'll be in the fourth generation. And the reason for the delay uh, as such, uh, the reason for why Abram's descendants are going to have to wait so long to begin to at least possess some uh, of the promised land is given here as the iniquity or, or, or the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. It hasn't reached its full uh, measure. Uh, now here the Amorites represent all the people in the land, right? The 10 tribes or 10 groups mentioned uh, at the end uh, of the chapter. Now this is an important statement, okay? Uh, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Important because it gives a moral basis for why God will do what he will do. Uh, a moral basis for why he can give land to his people that currently belong to other people. Okay, because we can also say, well, God made it all, so it's all his, he can give whatever he wants. Uh, and that is true, okay? But there's more to it than simply uh, that, okay? Uh, we're dealing with the morality of this uh, as well. <clears throat> uh, Levit uh, Leviticus 18, uh, especially around verse 25, uh, talks about how the sinful acts of men, now contextually there in Leviticus, it's uh, sexual immorality, but how the sinfulness of man pollutes the land. It defiles uh, the land. And goes on to say there can get to a point when uh, people persist in that uh, sinning that they are removed from the land. Uh, the words used in, in, in Leviticus talk about the land vomiting out the people, right? Again, no need for pictures in our heads with that, right? But that's very descriptive language uh, that is used uh, there. Now, we see examples of this uh, in Scripture, okay? Uh, and we see that God usually uses another nation to accomplish this fact as his uh, instrument uh, of judgment in driving out the sinful occupants uh, of the land. In this case, God is going to use Israel uh, to drive out the Amorites, okay? Uh, and the moral basis is because of their sin. Now, God doesn't show favoritism with this because what is he going to do I don't know how many, over 500 years after uh, the people go in the land, what is he going to do? He's going to use the Assyrians to come in and drive out Israel because of their sin. Okay, their continual breaking of the Mosaic Covenant and God said, is enough, enough, enough is enough. And the Assyrians come and take them off into captivity. Okay, so this isn't God playing favorites. He does it to uh, his own people uh, here as well. So without doubt, God is perfectly justified in giving the land 
uh, uh, to uh, Israel here. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> verse 17, we get back to the conclusion uh, of this covenant uh, ceremony, right? Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between uh, these pieces. These two items represent, or these two items uh, represent God uh, passing through the two rows of animal carcasses. In Scripture, oftentimes we find uh, uh, fire represented or being symbolic of the presence uh, of God. Now, why those two items specifically? Well, we're not told. Now, again, many can try to read into it or, or, or think the symbolism uh, within it, but don't miss the point. The point of this is God's presence, God passing through uh, as such, God confirming uh, this covenant, okay? Now, notice as well, no mention whatsoever of Abraham following this pot through the middle of the carcasses, okay? So that means that Abraham just stood back and watched. It was only the Lord's presence that passed through, okay? So that is the proof that this was an unconditional covenant. It is all about what God says, and all about God's ability to do what he says uh, that he uh, will do, okay? Because if Abram had walked through, then he would have had responsibility. It would be a case of God saying, well, I will give you the land if you do this and this and this and this, okay? And that doesn't happen. It's God saying, I will give you the land, and that's it, okay? So uh, a wonderful, unconditional uh, promise, okay, that God has given uh, to Israel through uh, the Abrahamic uh, covenant. Now on that day, verse 18, on that day the Lord, remember this is still the Lord, this is the continuing one. On that day the continuing one made a covenant with Abram saying, uh, to your offspring I give this land uh, from the river of Egypt uh, to the great river, the river Euphrates, uh, the land of the Kenites, the uh, well, and 10 other groups, okay? Um, I heard Paul, I listened to Paul's sermon last week, and I heard him giving thanks that he didn't have a passage full of big names. So you can read the names there, right? There, everybody that lived in the land, right? The names don't mean much to us. Uh, those verses there, 18, 19, 20, 21, okay, they are a, in, in essence now a, a, a summary statement, Okay, that gives a little bit more detail uh, and also provides some clarity and some emphasis uh, within uh, this covenant. And this is the privilege that we have of having the written word of God in our hands that we can look at it and see before us in the infallible word of God uh, a promise uh, that God uh, makes that through this covenant, he is absolutely obligated to fulfill this. Okay, there's no doubt, okay? uh, absolutely uh, obligated, and we've already looked at how he is perfectly justified uh, in giving uh, this land. Now, <clears throat> I get there's different opinions, but taking, or if you take this uh, literally, uh, you have to realize that this is not fully complete yet, okay? uh, this promise uh, of land here, because the boundaries uh, that God describes here at the end of chapter uh, 15 includes, yes, what Israel holds today, uh, but would also include um, 
uh, Gaza. Uh, it would also include the West Bank. It would also include Jordan. Uh, and many believe also includes at least part of Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, uh, even uh, Egypt. And Saudi Arabia, a bit of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Any sort of bother going on over there at times? Absolutely, but this goes back uh, a long uh, way. So, taking this literally, Israel is still not in possession of everything that God promised them, you know, thousands of years ago uh, through the Abrahamic covenant. But God is faithful. Absolutely. He promised he would do this, uh, and he will do it. That means, taking this literally, that Israel will get all of that land one day, right? Probably when Christ returns. Okay? That's a whole other subject. But God will keep his promise. Okay? Abram said, how will I know? You've promised this. How will I know? And God gives him this agreement. Okay? A uh, wonderful thing that God did uh, here. Now, just in closing, uh, just some of the key then takeaways uh, from uh, this passage. Now, first of all, there's the obvious, right? The simple narrative. Uh, the record of this uh, event. Okay? This important event in the, the unfolding of God's plan. Uh, for uh, Israel, but also the world, okay? Because God had purposes for Israel for the world, okay? Uh, and we have uh, then the, the record uh, of that uh, here. <clears throat> then there's the reminder uh, of the one who is making uh, promises in this book is Yahweh, the continuing one. And there's plenty of promises in here for us, and we love them, and we hold them tight, and we can have confidence in them because it's the continuing one who is making those promises. He will be around to fulfill them, okay? No matter when it is, he will be uh, faithful to fulfill every single promise uh, he makes. We also see the grace of God uh, in his response to Abram. Abram saying, how will I know this? Can you tell me more? I need more. Uh, and God responds graciously. You need a bit more, Abram? That's okay. I'll make an agreement with you, and I'll give you the details of exactly what I'm going to do for you. Okay, that is grace. Uh, God could have said, Abram, shush. I've said it. I'll do it. Leave me alone. Right? That's not God in this sense. Okay? Uh, we see his grace in giving proof, details of how he will keep his promise. And even in some of the promises as already uh, to do with Abram and, and, and living a long life and uh, in peace, etc., we see God's faithfulness uh, in those promises uh, as well. And friends, God has not changed, right? You, you didn't need me to come here this morning and tell you that God has not changed. But I'll say for me, even in preparing this, it's always a good reminder, right? God has not changed, okay? And he will never change. He will be as faithful to Abram and to Israel as he is to you and I. Okay, that is the sort, or that is the God uh, that we uh, have. He will be faithful uh, to the promises uh, that he makes to us uh, in his word. Maybe just pause for a prayer and then are you coming back up? Is that okay? Let's just pray. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that this is the most solid foundation. Uh, that we can base our lives, our thinking, our decisions, uh, and our actions upon. And Lord, may you use uh, what you have revealed uh, in your word in this passage uh, to 
uh, help us this week uh, to just uh, walk closer with you, to understand more uh, of you, uh, and just uh, for you, uh, for us to see your glory uh, in uh, what you do and how you do it. So, Lord, thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen.